The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast where three nerdy friends talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 2, Rand, Why Are You Still Here? Hello everyone and welcome back. We are ready again to dive right back into the world of Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. We are on book two, The Great Hunt, and tonight we're going to be talking about chapters three, four, and five. My name is Justin, and excited to be here with you as always. And of course, uh, I wouldn't be able to do this without my co-host, Michelle and Steven. Guys, say hi to everybody. What's up, everybody? Hey, folks. All right. So, listeners, if you're joining with us for this week's episode and you have not read chapters three through five of The Great Hunt yet, make sure that you do that. Uh, go ahead and hit the pause button, go and read those chapters, and then come back and uh, listen with us as we discuss these chapters and have some fun tonight. So, uh, guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing pretty good. I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. Steven, what about you? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm just happy to be here to uh, get into another section of this book with you guys. Yeah, after fighting with the audio off off air before we started recording, I think I think we're going to be okay, and uh, I'm I'm excited to actually get in uh, get into this. So uh, let's just let's go ahead and just dive right into it. Unless you guys had something else you wanted to say, uh, why don't we just dive right in tonight? Yeah, I just want to talk Let's great go. hunts. Let's get to it. All right, so we're starting right off the bat in Chapter 3, Friends and Enemies. There is no way out of Faldara, and everywhere that Rand turns, he feels like someone is watching him. After running into and seemingly trying to drive off Matt, Perrin, and Loyal, Rand resumes his search for a hiding place until he meets Egwene. He tries to drive her away too, but she's not going to have it. Instead, she decides to help Rand hide, first trying the dungeons, but maybe it's not a good idea for Rand or anyone to be so close to the former peddler, but where else can Rand go that he will not be found? So, right off the bat, I I wanted to talk about this feeling that Rand has everywhere he goes, He's got eyes watching him. You know, I thought it was interesting at first when he goes to that first gate and finds, uh, what is his name, Ragan and uh, Masema. And, you know, as he's as he's walking away, he thought he felt, you know, Masema's eyes on it. And may, maybe he was. But then everywhere he goes, you know, he still feels these eyes on him. What do we think? What do we think about that? Do you think it comes from, did it feel like, because remember when the wind kind of like pushed Rand, like turned still as still, like just completely solid. Are, are these eyes coming from the wind? 
And I know it's not just the wind. I'm just wondering, I do believe something is watching Matt, or sorry, not Matt, but Rand. But um, I feel like it's coming from the wind somehow. Yeah, see, I, I, I went another direction. My, my thinking was, is that uh, somehow uh, Padden Fane is watching him through the, the stone. Because it had mentioned, uh, you know, I think even in the previous book when uh, Moraine was questioning him, he would just stop and look in the direction of that room where all of, as though he were watching what's going on in that room. And it even mentions there's some moments kind of like that in these chapters where something like that seems to be kind of happening. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's not, you know, Padden Fane watching him somehow from his dungeon cell as it's been hinted at, he could possibly do. So that that's where I am on that. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't know. It could be something else. Could be something related to that wind, or it could just be, Rand being a little paranoid. Who knows? But uh, I want to take it back to your um to your mention of of seemingly that that padding like us having clues that Pat and Fane can kind of watch him from his room. I feel like I've missed those clues. Uh, where was that? Was that during our last uh, that was chapters? that was that was towards the end of book one when they first discover Pat and Fane had come to Faldara and. Moraine takes him to question and they she said there were moments when he would stare off in like as though he were I don't remember the exact wording but as as though he were staring you know through the wall and it was in the direction of that I think it was a dining hall or dining room where all the rest of them were gathered Hmm. and there's a couple of there's a couple of mentions in these chapters when we uh, encounter, I guess it's in this chapter when we encounter Pad and Fane, where it's it's mentioned that you know if he were, I think it's it said if he you know were looking through that wall, he'd be looking right into the women's apartments. You know, like it, it's mentioned as though he can see through the stone and is watching someone through all of that. So uh, I want to interject here real quick. Um, so I think both your theories have merit. Um, with Padden Fane, I don't know that it's so much that he can, like, literally see them through the stone. I think it's more of, like, he can, like, sense where they are. Like, a sixth sense of, like, knowing. Almost like a, uh, like, literally like a sixth sense. Like, he has a sense that he can just, like, he can spin around in a room and point blindfolded, and he can point dead at them. Like, he just knows where they are. Um, I mean, you I guys called him. Actual, he's the like, dark one's hound. Well, yeah. and and now, even, even later, even later, when they go to the dungeons, and Rand is standing in the shadows, Fane knows that he's there. He can't yep. see him, but he, he knows, knows that he's there. And he knows I, which one of the boys he is. Too. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so I think that maybe, makes sense, though. Uh, so, so he's he's a. Oh, continue. Yeah. So maybe it is something, you know, like you were saying, Stephen, maybe it's not a literal, like he's like, it's not like Superman with his x-ray vision, but he, like you said, he's sensing them. And even to the point almost maybe that he could even follow where they are. And that's why Rand keeps feeling like somebody's watching him wherever he goes. Yeah. I think there's also one other thing I want to bring up here, uh, going kind of back to what Michelle had said about the wind. So, 
back in the last episode, when the wind kind of like pushes at him and like turns solid and like pushes him into Land's practice blade, it's also noted, and Rand doesn't really think much about it at the time, but it's noted that when that happens, he kind of smells like the smell of the grave. Yeah. Uh, like death. Uh, and the same thing happens uh, in this chapter when he feels yep. those eyes on him mm. at one point. Yeah. He smells smell that death. weird death smell. Uh, so to me, that points to it being less Pat and Fane and more the Dark One mm. spying. Because we know uh, that, you know, Balsamon at this point, he knows who is who. He knows who he's searching for. Uh, and he's able to track them to some extent, and so I wonder if it's not him or some or other creature of the shadow working for him, keeping tabs on Rand and the other boys. And I also think it's normal for Pat and Fane to know where the boy, like to have a sense of where they are, uh, just because we know that he's the Dark One's hound at this point. So um, I think that's just one of his, I guess, curses slash gift. Like he'll always be able to kind of know which direction they are. Uh, just so at the end of the day, he, he'd be able to find them. In all honesty, I'm kind of annoyed that they're still keeping him alive. Like, we've seen this in enough movies and everything that when you catch the villain, first off, it's it's from both sides. When you're the villain, you stop talking and you, and you kill the good guy. And when you catch a villain, you just got to give him a double tap, like make sure you kill them straight up, uh, just like a, a zombie or whatever, because the villain always somehow finds their way out. So See, I, mean, I, I feel like I, I, I think. Just... Go ahead, finish what you were saying, and then I'll, I'll continue. Oh no, that's it. That's it. I, I was I was going to say I I feel like that's a that's a little simplistic of a of an approach because there's information that they can gather from from this individual. the 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 idea that comes to my mind is um, in Lord of the Rings when they take Isengard, and uh, some people want to kill Saruman, but Gandalf you know, knows that there's information that can be gathered from him. Uh, so no, they're not going to kill him. So, uh, I don't think, I don't think you should just, you know, kill the villain on site in a situation like this, because there is information to be gathered. And I really think that, and, and we know that Moraine has been going to, you know, sit and visit and question him. So, uh, it is, uh, all about finding the information that whatever he has inside. Uh, then when you got everything you can get, then yeah, off the guy. But you know, until then try to get as much as you can out of him because we're, we're fighting in a battle for the whole world here. We need every advantage we can have. So in my opinion, though, yeah, I, unless you can force it out of him, like force information out of him somehow, like a truth serum, I don't see the point of interrogating one of the Dark One's minions. You don't even know if what he's saying is true. So I, I'm hoping well, that Moraine actually has that... Uh, I'm hoping that she actually has that ability to decipher whether it's nonsense or to actually get him to tell the truth. Well, they've already got quite least. a bit of information out of him. Already yeah. gotten quite a bit from him, so... I think there's something else here, too. So at this point... I would venture to say that Moraine has probably extracted any information she's going to get from him at this point, but there is still knowledge to be gained by him. I think, in my opinion, the reason that she kept him around this long is she wants the chance for her... Like, I have a feeling when she gets ready to go to Tar Valon, 
that she would be taking Patton Fane with her because what's been done to him is not something that she's ever seen before. And I think it's something that she wants to study, not necessarily getting information from him, but using the power, letting her sisters look at him and try and figure out what the Dark One did to him. Like the knowledge of what happened and what's been done. I think that's why he's been left alive at this point. Study, study your enemy. Yep. So you can you can know what his tactics are. Well, I think we got more to say about Pad and Fane, but I think we'll come back to that. Let's let's talk about Rand. And <laughs> oh, Rand. Um, look, you know, okay. Here, here's the thing. He runs into his friends. I mean, these guys have been, you know, in, even even Egwene and Loyal as well. You know, Loyal he hasn't known for a, a few months, but you know, Perrin, Matt, and Egwene he has known his entire life and he comes across them and makes this attempt essentially just trying to drive them away to, and and we know why he's doing it. He he wants to protect them. He wants them to be as far away from him as he can. And so he just tries to drive them away. And I, I, I can't really fault him for the effort. I hope he apologizes at some point, but especially to loyal. Because Loyal has been nothing but a good friend for the short time that 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 they've known each other. But I, I hope he apologizes at some point. But I, I I understand what he's trying to do, and I can't say I wouldn't try to do the same thing. I've got to say I did feel really bad when Loyal just looked so hurt. Uh, I was like Rand, come on. I mean, I do believe. I mean, at the end of the day, we've seen this kind of trope on so many occasions. They will realize what or Rand is and why he did what he did, but you didn't need to hurt Loyal's feelings. I mean, come on. He's like a big teddy bear. And the way he like looked back and walked away. Uh, like, Rand, you went a little too far. And I'm glad Rand kind of felt it too. And it's kind of sad too, because it's like when he looked at Loyal, like when he first, I guess, walked in, he was ashamed of himself at the fact that he compared him to a Trolloc. You know, it's it, they've gone, they've kind of grown in this short amount of time they've been together. And then here you are just kind of, it's like you haven't learned, you haven't known Loyal that long to be like hurting his feelings like that. But we yeah. all know why. And I know I'm very confident that, I mean, of course, Perrin, Matt and Loyal will know why too. But it's such, I'm like, if you're going to do this, go all in. Like, this is such a, it's kind of a pathetic attempt. And in all honesty, Perrin and Matt seem a little too sensitive as well. Uh, I kind of get it, but, you know, I mean, he, he was just looking for the stomp off, but Loyal was little, I'd rather Loyal be angry than so sad. And, and let, let's be honest, though, uh, you know, again, I, I don't entirely fault Rand for doing this. I, I don't like the way that he did it, but I understand. But at the same time, Rand, you've been saying for over a month that you're going to leave. You've had every opportunity until this moment to leave why are you still here you know in, in that regard yeah maybe you should have handled things a little bit better i mean we've been we've been saying this since the first what two chapters like rand why that's like the rand why are you still here it's been the theme for like the the entirety of this book except for the prologue everyone's asking it land's asking it why are you still here because he really doesn't want to be separated from his friends uh, Deep down in his heart, he does not want that. He's doing what he thinks he has to do. And he thinks that if he can make them mad, if he can tick them off enough, 
that they won't want to have anything to do with him, and so it'll be a little bit easier to make that separation. I think he's also legitimately panicked and afraid right now, too, because he's been trying to get out, and he can't find a way, and, you know, I don't think he would have, if he could have found a way out, he would have. I think he reacts the way he does and decides to say what he does to his friends out of more uh, panic and desperation than anything. Like, he's getting, he's like a caged animal suddenly. Like, he, he needs out, he needs to get away, and he doesn't want, he wants their help, but he doesn't want them to come with him because he's afraid he'll do something to hurt them. And it just kind of boils over and it comes out how it does. I don't think it's necessarily like he went in search of them and to specifically to hurt them. I think it just all comes to a head and his frustration with being trapped pushes him to act in a certain way. And, and he, he tries to do the same thing with Egwene. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice try. Nice <laughs> try. You know, I have, to, I have to be honest. Um, you know, throughout the first book, I know there was a lot of, I'm going to say it, Egwene hate on this podcast. Um, <laughs> don't, don't at me. You, there was a lot of, you know, a, a lot of unloving feelings toward Egwene. I didn't always share those. I mean, yeah, she was a little bit annoying at times, but I didn't, it didn't really bother me that much. This was ridiculous. She's, this whole thing. No, I, I, of, I, I, I liked it better. I like her better in this, in this particular setting here. <laughs> I appreciated this much better. I, it annoyed me. This this annoyed me. You know, I was annoyed in the first book when she was like, oh, we're going on an adventure. But, you know, not as bad as this right here. I mean, you're just going to throw the man on the, or jump on the man's back and pin him to the ground, saying that he's acting like a mule, so you might as well ride him like a mule. No, no, don't, don't, don't come at me with that stuff. I think it just shows that, again, she is younger by two years than the rest of them. And she doesn't have a lot of the weight and concern that the boys have developed over these last... Like, to her, she's been there, but it's not her who found out she's a man who can channel. It's not her that's become a wolf brother. It's not her that is bound to a cursed dagger. So far, everything for Egwene is coming up sunshine and rainbows. I mean, she found out she can channel. She's going to go train to be an Aes Sedai. Like, there's no downside for her. And so I think she still has a lot of that energy and excitement and carefreeness that the others have kind of lost over the last couple of months. Uh, and I think that really shows here. Uh, you know, she's concerned. She wants to help Rand, but at the same time, she doesn't really take things quite as seriously as Rand is right now. Uh, and I think that's just immaturity on her part. That's a good word know. for it. I feel like this kind of just shows that they've grown up at, like, they, they've known each other since they were kids. And she's just, it, it's like, it's like she can see right through what he's trying to do. And she's, I, I, I don't know, Rand's kind of acting childish too. So she's responding back with childishness. I'd rather have now, this side of Egwene than the, than the, than the sullen, just uh, always admonishing the boy's side. And, and you know, Egwene with the braid. But, I'd, I'd rather have this side. Yeah, now, but that's, exactly what, that's exactly what she's doing. She's just doing it in a different way. She's still admonishing him, treating him like he's a, a stupid man who doesn't know what in the world. He, he doesn't know anything going on in the world unless a woman tells him. That's exactly what she's doing to him. 
she's just, you know, a little bit more active in it than she has been. She's not just berating him. She's jumping on him. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I do think there is some bit of an admirable quality to the fact, though, and I do have to say this. I don't know, like her approach. I can't stand how she does this, but I will say it is admirable that the because she knows what's actually going on here. The others are in the dark about what Rand is, but Egwene was there. Egwene knows, and yet for her, whether it's because they grew up together, whether whatever it is, for her, he's still just Rand, and she's going to do what she can to take care of him. You know, that she wants to protect him. She wants to make sure he's okay. You know, it comes from a good place. Her tactics are a little immature, sure, but her heart's in the right place. And I think it's admirable for her that she's willing to treat him this way and stick her nose out for him even after she finds out what he is. Because that's a big deal. It doesn't seem like it necessarily to us. But in their world, that's a really big deal that he can channel. And I think also um, she's done this again um, with Perrin uh, when she she knows exactly what he is, but she still kind of gave him the like, you know, she still treated him the same, which I know that he appreciated. So I, I will say I like that aspect of Egwene. She's doing it again with Rand, uh, where he feels like he's kind of like, in all honesty, kind of like a monster. And she's still, I guess, kind of bringing him down to earth. Like, no, you're still Rand. Um, and I'm still, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna, I guess, Egwene you whenever necessary. All so right. All right. I, I will, I, I will grant, I, I will grant that, that she is treating him like the boy she's always known. I will, I will give her a, a, a I, I will, okay. I will apologize a little bit to Egwene for, for what I said <laughs> and, and respect what she's doing. I still don't like the method. I don't like the you know, the, the almost anti-man approach she takes, you know, but I appreciate that. And it does get the job done. I'll grant that as well. I mean, it is Aes Sedai, you know, and, and also I'm not going to say you should apologize. That's for sure. But I will say this, if I'm over here kind of backing Egwene, that, that does say a lot. I'm, I'm going to say that much because she is not my favorite character. But I will say that's very Aes Sedai of her to no, not she's, really care for men. She She's not my... No, and I, 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 you, you need to learn more about the Aes Sedai, which you haven't had a chance to do yet. That's true. Um, to Before before you make that statement. But um, she's not my favorite character either. And for me, this is a low moment. But it does get the job done. Um, because ultimately... It ends up, you know, she's trying to help Rand, and she does. The first attempt maybe didn't go as well as she thought. Let's just, let's start there, though. Her, her first idea is take him to the dungeons. Nobody would think to look for him there. She goes down there all the time to speak with Padden Fane because he has, you know, it almost feels a little bit like home because she's known him her entire life because he's been coming every spring as the peddler, and so it feels a little bit like home. Um, she does mention that the dungeon guards, you know, every, and her her words were they get they're getting meaner and more sullen every time that she visits. There's one of them, you know, she says that he told jokes when Egwene first visited, but now he's obviously not in any kind of joking mood. And then when they actually are there and talking to Fane. 
I don't even know what this man's going on about. Um, it seems like some nonsense, but it's probably not. Uh, there's probably something in there that <laughs> uh, has some answers for us that will be revealed much later. But uh, let's talk about, though, this, you know, what's going on with these guards and the other prisoners as well. I think it's mentioned that maybe kind of the same effect is going on with them. What do we think? I feel like it's it's kind of like uh like the effect that the dagger had on Matt. I mean, not to that. I mean, it's this is completely, of course, a separate thing than Shatter Logoth. But I feel like his darkness is kind of seeping into anyone that comes into contact with him. This once again kind of reminded me of uh uh what's what's that thing from Harry Potter? You know what I'm talking about? Where the, it's just anytime you're around yeah. it, yeah, it kind of reminded me of a Horcrux kind of effect. You have all this darkness within you. He is the Dark One's hound. Of course, it's going to... It just seems like it's kind of seeping into everyone. And I was kind of concerned, actually, hearing that Egwene and Nynaeve were around him so often. I feel like there's a reason why Moraine brings Pat and Fane to her room. She probably puts up some kind of protection in there. So, um, and I feel like this is the effect that he's having on everyone. And she could feel it, too. Egwene could feel it, too. She could feel that the guards weren't the same. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely knows. But but at the same time, you know, she keeps insisting, well, you know, he's a little bit better. Yeah. You know, he, he gets he, there's good days, there's bad days, but but there's a lot more of the old Padden Fane that seems to be coming out. At least that's what she says. Um, but yeah, all of this darkness around him and then on this occasion, it's definitely not the Padden Fane that she grew up knowing. I don't even know why she even thought that. I mean, of course it's not the Pat and Fane you grew up knowing. He's he's a dark friend. But she, but <laughs> her experience with him has been that, you know, there's he's been a little bit more normal in the time in many of the times she's gone to visit him. So, you know, she even I think wonders is you know maybe maybe he's breaking free of, of the Dark One's influence. But obviously, uh, in this case, no. It's not happening. In my opinion, it's all manipulation. Of course, you want, of course, you want them to think that you're normal and you're breaking free. Um, and and thankfully, she's seen this side of him again, just to remind her, like, yeah, he's in here for a reason. Of course, you want everyone to think yeah. you're normal, because at best case scenario, okay, look, just let me go. Once again, I still believe that he should not be kept alive, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, they, uh, I guess, more than gentle him uh, sometime soon. Well, he's, I like the he's word not gentling. A, I know gentling is not is yeah. not a word for killing, but I do want him to well, be neutralized, neutralized, uh, and say that soon. Yeah, that that word is specifically for men who can channel the power. Channelers. So it wouldn't apply to Pat and Fane, but definitely, I mean, you know, something to that extent. Here, here, here's the thing: if if he gets out, he's going to be dangerous. Absolutely. Um, but what about the stuff that he's he's rambling about? I know we're we're you know, well into it, but just real quick, there's a couple of things that he says. First, there's this little chant, uh, when, when, you know, when he realizes that Rand is there, there's this little chant, like soon comes the day, all shall be free, even you and even me. Some comes, soon comes the day, all shall die, surely you, but never I. And then the other thing that he says is Mordeth knows more than all of you. Mordeth knows the battle's never done, Althor. Mordeth knows. So, I mean, it it sounds like the ravings of a madman, right? Um, 
but obvious there's got to be something more to it that I'm sure we'll find out uh, as time oh, goes on. Hopefully sometime soon. I couldn't really <laughs> decipher what he was talking about. I do just want to uh, to make sure y'all caught the name he's saying, right? Oh, yes. Like y'all sure remember is. why that's important? Oh, yes. Okay. No, I'm, I'm going to need Michelle, a refresher you... over here. I'm going to need a refresher over here. Okay. So remember when the boys stumble into that treasure room and yes. there's that creature person that uh, then, exp- you know, wants the one that gives Matt the dagger, basically. Yes. In Shadow Gogoth, that was Mortis. Oh. Yeah. And so Padden Fane at least has met Mortis because that's who he's talking about there. Oh. He's talking about the guy in Shadow Gogoth, the one who basically evil and corruption into Shadow Logoth that destroyed the city and created uh, that evil uh, Mash... Let's see. Yeah, Mashadar. Yeah. That makes this even more confusing, in all honesty. Wow. Something is going on, and it ain't good. Yep. Why don't we move on into Chapter (laughs) 4? Let's go for it. Uh, that's a great segue, right? <laughs> Something's going on. It's not good. But let's move on to chapter four. Uh, title of chapter four is Summoned. As she is escorted to an ex- unexpected meeting with the Amarlin seat, Moraine learns much of what is currently happening in the world and wonders uh, about the behavior of one of her sisters. With the Amarlin, Moraine learns more troubling news as old alliances within the White Tower seem to be weakening and new ones forging. And meanwhile, in private, the two women, who were old friends, speak of their own secret plans. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the the two sisters who come to escort her uh, in a minute. But let, let's talk about some of this news that we get of what's going on in the world. Probably the most significant of which is that there are currently three false dragons at the same time in 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 the world. Uh, I forget the exact yeah. locations. I say one in Saldea, one in Mirandi. I had it written down, and, and one in Tyr. And what's I guess so remarkable um, about that is what it was that they said there had been three in the in the past two years, and now there are three at the same time. And now is is um, not Fane, but uh, uh, Logain. Is Logan one of those three in the past two years, or is he an, an? He is one of the ones in the past. He is not one of these new three. No. Okay. He he's one of the three from the past two years. Okay. Yeah. Is that, okay. And you know he's definitely not one of these three because we know he's already been captured and uh, assumingly on to Tarvalin to be gentled. So really, this is four new false dragons within a few months. And I think they, they've actually yep. already gentled Loghain at this point. Um, they said that he could, what, draw on the power, and they went ahead and gentled him as, like, already. Uh, uh, I think I that might have been the case. Uh, Steven, Justin? Uh, so a li- you're getting a, little, getting a little ahead of where we're at right now, but yeah. Moraine alludes to the fact that she assumes at this point Loghain would have already been gentled because okay. he should have made it to the tower by now. Uh, but it's never really confirmed. I, I think Leandrin says something along those lines too, but the way that it's written, it seems like there might be a little bit of doubt about whether or not it had actually happened yet. So 
Um, but that that I guess that's the big news. Um, have we confirmed whether or not the three false dragons, and I guess even the three, like you know, I guess six overall, have we confirmed whether or not all of them can channel a bit of the one power? Uh, Logan could channel. Uh, I believe it is mentioned that the one in Saldea can channel, and I want to say these other two. Either it's said that they cannot, or it's it's not known. And when we say that there's false dragons, they announce themselves, right? Yeah, it's said that the only one that can channel, other than, you know, of course, Logan could, but of these new three, the only one that can is the one from Saldea. Yeah. Uh, the one in Mur- Murindy is already taken care of. Like, right. he didn't even get it. He got done announcing oh, yeah. himself, and then basically his own people <laughs> turned against him. Yeah. His, his people were like, uh, no, 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 we do not have time for this right now. And they just, and they, let me tell you, they yeah. stomped him out like a flame. Which we get, a, we, we, we get a little bit about, you know, that country that, you know, they're always so divided. They don't consider themselves, you know, they, they, they consider themselves, you know, as, you know, they identify their city or the Lord that they belong to. They don't identify themselves as belonging to that country. But when a false dragon pops up, oh, then all of a sudden we're all united. We're going to take this guy out. Um. I thought that was kind of. I thought it was kind of funny, actually. No, but. I, I, I chuckled. I chuckled. Yeah. They stomped him out like a roach. They were like, "We are not dealing with this right now." So, um, yeah. so about the false dragons. That's one question I had. They always announce themselves, do they? Well, that, that's what I guess makes them a false dragon is they do proclaim that they're the dragon reborn. Okay. They're false dragons when it's proven that they are not, <laughs> because I think. I think there were even times when Loghain was still at large that there were some who were wondering whether or not he could actually be the dragon because of some of the stuff that was going on. Um, so, yeah. and, you know, it, it, it... So the, the thing is, there has to be a dragon for the last battle to happen. The Dark One is stirring. The pattern is getting ready for the last battle. And so it is trying to weave a dragon into the pattern. It will do that until an actual dragon is chosen by basically being able to fulfill the prophecies. The pattern is just going to keep spitting people out to try and fill that slot. They're not the right people for it, uh, but it's going to keep spitting people out into the pattern. Basically, it's trying to fit uh, a – it's got a, a triangle peg. And it's trying to fit all the other shapes that it can make fit into that peg until something clicks and works because it knows that there has to be a dragon. And so until there is a dragon, it's just going to keep speeding up and spitting out people, which is why it's, it's, it seems like it's going quicker and quicker. It's because the Dark One's getting stronger and stronger. The pattern, you know, safety basically is, is locked in on the pattern. It's like, okay, the Dark One's getting loose. There has to be a dragon. So the pattern is doing everything it can to make a dragon. <laughs> but it's it has to, they're all going to be false dragons until the real dragon is able to f- fill those roles and fulfill the prophecies. I want to challenge that just a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh, based on, I think it's in this chapter when Moraine and the Amerlin are talking. Uh, I believe the Amerlin mentioned something about the pattern requiring a, dra- a dragon and... Moraine corrects her and says, no, the pattern requires the dragon. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that the pattern has no role in all of these dragons popping up in such a short amount of time, but I don't think we can take uh, human agency out of it. 
either. Oh no, I don't yeah. mean that by any means. Well, that, that's 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 the way. It's really the way it sounded like you were describing. You're saying that the pattern just made it happen. That they really had no control. There's definitely some human agency, and I'm 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 inclined at this moment to agree with Moraine that the pattern requires the dragon, not necessarily just okay. a dragon. Uh, I completely agree, Justin, with what you just said, and I think that changes what I was trying to say. Uh, so what I'm getting at is the pattern is creating oppor- – look at it this way. The pattern is creating opportunities for the dragon to be revealed, and it needs the real dragon to step into one of those opportunities. But so far, random people have just been getting t- caught up in it. Yeah. Well, it's it's clear that the pattern is moving towards the last battle. I don't think that can be denied. And with that happening, there are going to be these occurrences and these men popping up saying that they are the dragon. So I think I we think, can... I, yeah, my take on it is just the... I guess I'll, I'll be in the middle here. My take on it is, of course, the pattern... Well, I like the fact that um, the way you say it, Stephen, is like the pattern is an entity. But my take on it is like it's not even just that the pattern needs a dragon. It's like needs the dragon. They need the dragon to announce itself. So I guess just to play it safe, it's like if they have this inkling that they feel like they are the dragon, they're just going to say it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where this goes. Um, but it just seems like the main point is that the dragon false or not has to announce themselves somehow. Uh, that's what it seems like. The, the last key is not even the dragon being reborn. It's like the dragon has to say they're the dragon. That seems like the, it's, it seems like the, the only way you can become a dragon is by actually saying it out loud or some sort. Yeah, yeah you I'm have to proclaim yourself. And and Moraine alludes to that fact that once Rand proclaims himself, because she's convinced Rand is the dragon, she alludes to the fact that once he does proclaim himself, all the other dragons will stop popping up. I, I don't know. I don't know. At this moment, I don't know if I believe that, per se. I don't know that it would completely stop everybody from announcing themselves the dragon, but... Um, you know, I, I do, you know, see where Moraine's coming from on that. That's the next chapter, but, you know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, these two chapters are so intertwined. Uh, so, <laughs> because it's kind of the same, at least part of it is like the same, uh, yeah. same thing. Happening, it's the same so. events. It's just continuing on in two different chapters. Yeah, but uh, we got just a little bit, just a real quick, um, the other things that are mentioned uh, as far as what's going on in the world, just to uh, quick news flash. Uh, apparently, you know, the tensions in Andor that we, we saw firsthand when we were in Camelin, uh mm-hmm. seems like they've eased up a little bit um, since the spring has come upon them, but still a little bit tenuous. We do get confirmation that Elaine and Gowan have arrived in Tarvalin, followed very closely by, my favorite people in the world, some white cloaks. <laughs> there is been a calling of the Great Hunt of the Horn in Ilion, which I thought we already knew. Didn't we already know that? We did, but it's news to these Aes Sedai. Yeah, okay. Uh, as I thought we had heard that before, though. It's a reminder, though, that that has happened. Um, the sea folk, we're told, are agitated. And, you know, that's really all we get. Out of that, they don't really... I mean, we get a little bit more about what's going on with them, but uh, for the moment, we just know they're, they're kind of stirred up about something. Uh, their chosen one, 
believing that uh, he's Coromore. Yeah, believing that he's on the horizon, and then the the Aiel are stirring as well, and nobody knows why. So that's <laughs> your that's your newsflash. Uh, what's going on in the world of the Wheel of Time in Chapter Four? of the great hunt so it's there's like a lot the wheel of time newsletter right yeah now. <laughs> uh five and minute news be, brief just to be clear the aiel are what they suspect or someone had told uh rand that he looked like they're the ones who uh, are they swordsmen no okay i'm like, I'm like um, i forgot what they said i know they have uh, what they are yet yeah yeah we really oh, okay, haven't okay okay we all, all we've really heard about the aiel at this point are you know, maybe little snippets. Most of what we've gotten is that Rand looks like one. Yeah. And that's pretty much all we've we gotten. We can put to, we can pretty much take into effect that because it took like the other countries of the world uniting basically against them uh, to turn them back the last time they invi- invaded, that they are a devastatingly effective fighting force of some kind. But that's about all we know. Oh. So, uh, go ahead. I was just going to ask what y'all think of uh, actually getting to meet some more Aes Sedai. I love it. Oh, man, it's so... I, you know what else I love? I like the fact that... Um, I think I mentioned last episode or even last book that I'm looking forward to hearing from other people's perspectives um, rather than, you know, like the the two boys, really. Um, and I love that we're finally in Moraine's world and in her head and we're meeting her sisters and we're learning... At least for me, I'm learning about... Like, really learning about these other Aja. Like, not too much, but at least, you know, I now know about brown Ajas. We're seeing their interactions. We're hearing more about their, I guess, about their training. We're seeing their own little drama because they're all kind of on the same plane and that they can all, you know, channel the one power. I love it. I'm feeling it. Yeah, you know, we we actually, um, we meet several. I I think we get a little bit of detail. We get a little bit of detail about the two brown sisters. Moraine, you know, saying something like, you know, they wouldn't even know what's going on in the world half the time. You know, they're so caught up in <laughs> in their their studies or seeking knowledge. Uh, really, other than um, the Amberlin seat herself, Liana, the keeper of the Chronicles, we don't really get a whole lot about her. Um, the only two we really get anything about are uh, Leandrin and I, I didn't I forgot the name of the other blue sister that that meets Moraine at her room. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if this was mentioned. I told you guys, you know, I'm the first. This is my first time. Listeners, you know it's my first time reading the book and you know the excitement of like reading a brand new uh story that you're excited about that you kind of miss some key details. And my question is, do we know what a blue aja is? Like we know that uh brown ajas are kind of like the scholars they like to study everything red ajas are kind of like responsible for i feel like it's kind of like upholding the law and especially for juggling I, like one like individuals that i, men that I don't real to one power i don't know what if we ha- blue aja do? i don't know if we really have enough time to get into that right now okay uh, we've still got a lot to cover um and by the way anaya was the other blue sister whose name i was looking for so yes. um so yeah, uh, AKA Chatty Cathy. <laughs> Chatty Cathy. Uh, how about that moment though? As they're walking along, and um, Moraine sees Egwene obviously sneaking Rand in. <laughs> she doesn't say anything, but you know yeah. she know she knows what's going on. She sees right through it. So let's talk about this this meeting. 
How, how about this? How about we go ahead and kind of start to dive into chapter five, but we'll kind of come back to this meeting with the Amerlin and kind of combine it all together. Okay, sure, sounds, sounds good. good. So chapter, we'll say chapter 4.5, going into chapter five, <laughs> uh, the shadow in Shinar, secret plans and hidden plots abound. Moraine and the Amerlin seat plan how the dragon reborn will be revealed to the world. The hand of the light is stirring up something across Terabon and Almoth Plain. Leandrin questions the Lady Amalisa and sets about completing her explicit orders. And someone unexpected has come to Padden Fane in the middle of the night. So let's start there with the meeting between Moraine and the Amerlin seat. Uh, shall we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I love this because it's like it makes the Amerlin seem, um, it's like she's human. You know what I mean? And I think she even mentions, first of all, we, we get this revelation. Now, there, there's some discussion that happens before this revelation uh, about some of the things happening. But we get this revelation that Moraine and Swan Sanche, the Amerlin seat, pretty much came up through the tower together. They are old friends. And she even mentions to Moraine, you're the only one I can feel like myself around. Everybody else thinks I, I am, you know, the, the, that being the Amerlin is all that I am. It's almost like I'm not a person anymore. But with Moraine, she can be herself. Like best friends. And you know what else I like to hear? The fact that the Amerlin is all Aja's. Yeah, she represents all of the tower. That's pretty cool. I yeah. I don't know. It's like it. I yeah. yeah. I just like I like to hear that. Um, yeah. I guess they kind so of reveal themselves she was, or something. She was she was raised from the Blue Aja. She was Blue Aja before she became Amerlin. But once she be, once she comes to that position, she is supposed to represent the whole tower. Yeah. I would love to hear in the future. I hope Robert Jordan kind of dives into this about what makes an amerlin you know what i mean but i did i did like i mean of course a powerful woman like moraine i'm not at all shocked that she's like really good friends with the amerlin you know yeah. it's it's like it's either it's, it was either going to be one or the other really serious enemies or really good friends because yeah. you can't have a uh, too strong woman like that and not have some kind of you know serious uh interaction i but do have again, one question for both of you though Okay. I need a pronunciation question. How do we say the Amerlin's name? Swan Sanche. Swan. Okay. At least that's the way it is in the yep. official pronunciation guide. <laughs> hey, we're yeah. going to go yeah. with that. You know, Swan. I, I, I struggled with that one for years because it does not, it, it just, it does not look like it should be pronounced that way. And in the audiobook, you actually get a few different pronunciations, but according to the official pronunciation guide, it is Swan. So. Uh, yeah, just think of the the bird. Yeah, just oh, like yes. the bird. Oh yes, <laughs> I just switched. I just uh, fixed it in my head. It's the bird. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so we do get a little bit, and I know we're we got we got a lot, still got a lot to cover, and not a lot of time. We do get a little bit of tower politics. Oh yeah. Um, basically that, and and so much of it has to do with Moraine. Apparently, that there is this <laughs> this you know growing alliance between Ajas that normally would be diametrically opposed are united in something's got to be done about Moraine. I love it. Uh, reds, yep. reds and greens who we don't really get a lot of detail, but we're told that, you know, 
their philosophies are like opposite ends of the spectrum in so many ways, but they seem to be uniting against against Moraine. And I'm I'm even picking up that, you know, maybe even against the Blue Aja in general, because it seems like like, you know, it's mentioned the blues and the greens have always kind of worked together, but doesn't seem to be the case now. And it seems like the Reds have like an attitude or a complex of some sort. You know what? The Red Ajas come off to me as the white cloaks of the Aes Sedai. They kind of irritate me a little bit. I mean, that's just, that's my feeling as a new reader. They (laughs) kind of irritate me. They seem kind of obnoxious. I'm like, you need to stand down and fix your attitude. I I was really hoping you were about to say, not that I would agree with it specifically, but I was really hoping you were about to say that the Red Aja is the worst. (laughs) Oh, they are. Oh, my goodness. I actually, no, no. I actually wrote it down. I actually, I actually wrote that down because I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was like, I feel like the Red Aja. No, no, no. They are. They are the worst. They are the worst. It. I felt the same kind of sentiment um, that you have uh, against the white clothes. And you've only met two of them so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and that's uh, the thing. That's the thing. We've only met two and their presence has been so strong. But we in do the, in the tiny amount we've talked to them or seen, like interacted with them. We we do learn a little bit about the Red Aja, though. That and, and I, we're we're kind of skipping around a little bit, but the only two Amerlin seats to ever be removed from office to be deposed came from the Red Aja. We're told that. Ah, uh, um, okay. Yeah. And one of those is responsible for the fall of Manethrin. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, they, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Did it say because she was jealous of? Yes. Elisanda's power. Yep. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yep. That's awful. I was like, this is the most childish thing ever. It's just jealousy, yeah. and and I think you said the Red Aja. I think the book was saying the Red Aja were replaced by Blue Aja. Both. And both that, times. And that does not help it. That does not say, help yeah. the situation. Yeah. Both. Both times that a Red was removed from. Uh, removed from power she was replaced by a sister from the blue aja and oh my goodness there hasn't been a red aja as amerlin in since was it since the trolloc wars or since since the time of author Hark- arthur hawkling yeah so that's and like there's a reason for that as that's like see. that's like two thousand years right uh it's like a thousand i think I, I thought i thought hawkling was after two th- the trolloc wars okay so trolloc wars came first okay yeah thousand okay yeah. Uh, still, though, that's a long time. A long time. And, and 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 I think we get the sense that Aes Sedai live longer than average people, but still, that's a long yeah. time. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, again, there's still there's just like anywhere in the world, there's politics in the White Tower, um, and I do look forward to getting more into uh, oh, some yeah. of the play between the Ajas. Uh, let's talk about Moraine and Swan. What they're planning. Uh, first of all, a lot of it seems to center around the Dragon Reborn. I know Moraine is, we mentioned, is determined that Rand will be proclaimed the Dragon Reborn. Uh, but there's this really real possibility they both admit that if they are found out, uh, first of all, Swan would be deposed, which has not happened in over a thousand years and has never happened to a blue sister who was raised to Amerlin. That's a really really realistic possibility, not only that she would be removed from her position, but they could both be stilled 
cut off from the pow. We're still able to sense it, but not able to touch it. Kind of the equivalent of a man being gentled, uh, but for a woman. So they're into some serious stuff. And the and I just wanted to <laughs> touch on like what exactly the plan is. It's what to find. It was basically to find Rand or the Dragon Reborn and hide them in Tarvalen. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, I'm like that sounds like a terrible idea. So I think the the original plan was this, and things have already gone off the rails as far as their original plan. Yeah, and that's why Suwan is here and why she's upset. Uh, but the original plan was to find him and then get him to Tarvalin secretly so that they could then train him and guide him to fulfill the prophecies. But they have to be... The reason it's dangerous is because the majority of Aes Sedai and the majority of the world would want the dragon dead or at very least gentle. But according to the prophecies, he has to be there to fight the Dark One at the end. If you gentle him or kill him before that, then the world may be doomed... But at the same time, especially the Red Aja, who hate men who can channel, their their whole purpose is to seek out men who can channel and destroy them. They're not going to let the dragon just sit there in Tower Valen with his ability to channel intact and just going on about his day. And half of the prophecies that he has to fulfill, like, it's said that he will break the world before he saves it. Like, it's not uh. going to be fun times. <laughs> uh, and so... Just the idea of them knowing who he is and the fact that he isn't gentle yet is enough to have them both stilled and killed. So they're all aware of the prophecy then. Yeah. M- many so, many people are. Yeah. But they're, so they're, I guess they're yeah. all focusing on the fact that he has to break the world before he can save it. I guess everyone's just focusing on the one side and no one's focusing on the other side of to save well, it. Well, some people... Some people are and some people aren't. It's individual interpretation. Some Ajas feel one way. Other Ajas feel another way. Okay. Different Aes Sedai have different opinions on it. But the problem is, what would the consensus become? And what would happen in, in the meantime before a consensus can be found? You know, okay. it's dangerous. You know, they're, they're keeping their plans to themselves because they can't trust everyone else to make the right decision because they think they know what the right decision is. Okay. Let me tell you though, it's not, it doesn't feel good to know that there's this much quarreling within the Aes Sedai. Like there's this much, I guess, politics. Uh, I, I, I guess I, I don't know if I would use the word quarreling. I think I would call it politics because politics, I think, yeah. you know, in a, in a way we might say in, in many ways they have the same goal. It's just, they have a different way of going about it. These two notwithstanding, because they definitely have their own agendas uh, <laughs> to get things done and, and you know, are willing to take that risk. Uh, just I, I'll say one thing on prophecies and then uh, we can move on to uh, some of the other point of views is uh, and, you know, prophecy can be misinterpreted or misunderstood. Yep. Uh, that comes up in Harry Potter. It comes up in Star Wars. Just because the prophecy says this and you understand it this way doesn't mean that that's exactly how it's going to happen. I think there's another point, too. Uh, One thing I have learned from all the other previous books, just in general, is the more you try to... You can't fight a prophecy. It's like, you know, I feel like the more you try to fight it in that way, you're actually causing the prophecy to happen. It's like at the end of the day, the prophecy will happen, whether you caused it or whether... 
it's like everything's meant to be. It's all but, going to, yeah. But what they're trying to do is force the prophecy according okay. to the way that they understand it. You know, it's the same thing that Voldemort did by marking Harry instead of Neville. It's the same thing with the Jedi in Star Wars and the prophecy of the Chosen One. Yoda even said, you know, could have been misread or misunderstood. When you force a pro- try to force a prophecy according to the way you understand it, you could have it wrong. That's true. You, yep. you could be misunderstanding it, and I, I, you know, and that could be, you know, the way that everybody understands this whole thing about he has to break the world before he can save it. Maybe they're misunderstanding that portion of it. I, I don't know. There's, there's, you know, that's the thing with prophecy. It hasn't happened yet. There are different ways that it could go. But let's talk about, unless somebody wants to add to that, uh, let's talk about some of these other points of view. Oh, yeah. Because we've got, we've got a total of four in this chapter. We start with Moraine, and then we jump all the way south to Jeffrey Bornhold, a white cloak, which, who we've met before. He was the one who uh, his crew captured Perrin and Egwene. Is that right, yes. Stephen? Yes, that it was, is. It was Bornhold who captured them in Andor, and he has been sent by the Lord Captain Commander of the Children of the Light to Terabon with really no idea what he's supposed to do. He's just supposed to meet somebody there, and then he's going to get instructions. And the people that he meets, we asked a question about this in the last episode, they have (laughs) that red shepherd's crook on their cloaks. In addition to the sunburst, which marks the children of the light, they also have that red shepherd's crook. And we learn what it means. Bornhold calls them questioners. They don't like that mm-hmm. term. <laughs> they prefer to be called the hand of the light. Essentially, the way they're described is uh, kind of like the Inquisition. Uh, they decide you're guilty, and then they torture you until you confess and tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. And this is the symbol that Bors was connected with in the prologue. Correct. It's like classical <laughs> classical white cloak behavior, in all honesty. We will yeah, capture but, you, and we will make you say that but, this is what, you know. You know, okay, white cloaks are the worst. The hand of the light are the worst of the worst. <laughs> and I don't, I, don't know what to, I yeah. don't know what to feel about that. Um, and apparently, one of them is a dark friend. We know. Oh, yes. Because we've already met him. We don't know his, his real name. We don't know what he looks like. But we know he maybe we do know his real name now. We just don't know that it's him because we we meet a couple of or we get names of a couple of these uh, these folks. But uh, we're not we don't really get that confirmation. We don't know if he, they're they're the ones that call themselves boars. They yeah. didn't mention who they're looking for. I believe. Nope. All the uh, the questioner that he meets, all he says are there are. Um, you know, these little villages all across that need to be brought to the light. Okay. Um, there is a mention. And Go ahead, Stephen. I was going to say, he says that uh, when he gives orders to Bornhold and uh, to, yeah, to Jeffram, uh, the questioner basically just tells him that we are here to bring the light to these villages, uh, to root out dark friends and to bring the light and then after that, he tells him to move his men across the river and to meet him in the village. And when he's asking about the villagers, 
basically the questioner without mixing words pretty much says he took care of the village. He yeah. pacified it. Uh, and Bornhold makes mention of the fact that, uh, yes, and in probably a few days, those bodies floating down the river will show up at the next village and make this ten times harder, so much for stealth. Because the questioners, when they pacify, they don't leave witnesses. So basically we get the, the idea here that these questioners that they just met up with have just finished eradicating a village of, pe- of innocent people and taking over the village as their own. That was so frustrating to hear. Yeah. On, These guys on top of everything, it's like they're they're monsters. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're yep. they're the worst. <laughs> but this is doesn't um, seem like it doesn't seem like everyone's on the same page. Just like with the Aes Sedai, it seems like there's a lot of politicking within the white clubs as well. Well well you and you get that sense from from Bornhall that, you know, he doesn't approve of the questioner's methods. That's ridiculous. Uh, no, he definitely, he, yeah, they, he, he thinks that they, you know, and he even kind of mentions this as we're inside his head that he has no problem killing a dark friend. He wants to be certain that they are dark friends. Same can't be said for other white cloaks. Definitely cannot be said for the questioners. They decide your guilt and then, and then they put you on trial. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they, they decide the guilt before, before you, they even, Begin. I, I do want to mention one little detail. We didn't put it in the doc, but I feel like it needs to be mentioned. There is something said about some strangers that are in this area of Terabon, Almuth Plain, Toman Head, um, and it's somehow there. It's it's mentioned even something about Arthur Hawkwing's armies returning. We don't really get any other detail about that, but you know there is something stirring in this area. Maybe the white cloaks are there to do related to that. It doesn't seem that way uh, because the the questioner seems to be disinterested in it, even though Bornhold is curious about it. But uh, there is definitely some something stirring there in that region. Yep. So shall we talk about Leandrin? I yes, please. Let's move on to Leandrin. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think we definitely should. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we we've already talked about her a little bit, but she is, uh, you know, th- this whole scene is essentially her, you know, what would you say, questioning or even really even intimidating the lady Amalisa. We all um, knew she was a bully, and in all honesty, we already know that there's Black Aja out there, and I would not be surprised if she's one of them. So you, you're you're gonna go with you're gonna go with that Leandrin oh, is. Oh yeah. Oh okay. yeah. So do you, do you think friend. do you think she was one of the Aes Sedai at the meeting? In the I prologue? actually wanted to go back to the prologue and see if I wanted to see if there was a description, but there wasn't really. And in all honesty, we don't really have a description of Leandrin either. But I I don't oh. know if she was one in the prologue, but I wouldn't be shocked. I would yeah. not be shocked at all because why? It it is dark friend ish for her to even try to be so determined to find these three boys yeah and and she is uh like no no doubt about it she says the black aja is real oh yeah whereas most will deny that until they're blue in the face or red in the face or whatever color aja they are in the face yep um (laughs) um but she says no it's real and you better watch out because they could be anywhere yeah but 
she could just as easily be on a mission with orders from the Red Aja. Mm. You know, they are yeah. snooping out. They don't like what Moraine's been up to. Elida came in with, you know, letting people know that Moraine took that boy away. That's going to just, you know, he's dangerous. So she could easily just be on orders from her Aja. She doesn't necessarily have to be black. But I think what she does here paints her in a certain light. Um yeah. Uh, let me, let me, Justin, let me, do you know what it is she's doing? I say, let, let me clarify. I'm not, I'm not saying she's one or the other. I'm, yeah. I'm just kind of, you know, following up with Michelle's theory and, you know, kind of fl- fleshing it out a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm asking the question, what are those orders? Where did they come from? You know, one theory could be she's Black Aja. She was there at that meeting. She got orders from the Dark One. It could be she's got you know, some kind of special instructions from the, uh, the red Aja, you know, I do have a question for you guys though. Um, at no point did they even mention that there were three boys, right? Like Moraine never revealed, I guess, publicly, like there were three boys. I don't think they even, how does she know that there's three boys out there? I would, I would almost feel like by this point, there's probably some, there's probably common knowledge because everybody knows they arrived with her at Faldara. I I don't think it's that big of a secret. But all they were asking yeah. for was about one boy. And then, so here you go with Leandrin over here insisting to find three boys when all they were asking for was just the one boy. But, but the there's, one to Varen. But there, there's, there's, there's no secret that these three boys arrived with Moraine. Okay. So. Yeah. Like anybody she asked when she got into the city, if she asked, hey, who came with Moraine? She would have been told, oh, well, she had these three boys and these two girls and this Ogier. So she would have known that there's three boys, but she wouldn't know exactly which one is the Taviran. But she would now at least know there is three boys. Yeah. And it seems like she has the ability to make someone not only kind of reveal the truth, but to kind of control them as well. And apparently that's a big no-no in the Aja world. I will say this in the Aes Sedai world. I will say this. Every fantasy book I've read... I think just about every book I've read, it's always a huge taboo to make someone to compel them to do something that you want them to do. So I'm not really surprised about this. No, well, that's that's just kind of human, nat- natural human. That compulsion, uh, mor- you know. That, that's that, that's that's normal morality is you yeah. don't you don't force someone to do something against their will. And it, it, I think it's even a little more sinister than that. I think what she's doing is. What she's doing to poor Amelisa here is it's almost like an embedding of an idea into her mind that yes. makes Amelisa almost believe that it's her own idea. You know, it's like a corrupting of her own thoughts and pushing her orders on her. And then, you know, Amelisa doesn't think anything of it after it happens. It's almost like Amelisa had the idea all, of her, all on her own. So you know, dangerous. It's weird. And very sinister, in my opinion. So dangerous, though. Oh, my goodness. I I will say this. I I definitely would say she's one that you need to watch out for. Absolutely. And And we don't know who else she's touched. Yeah, need need to keep an eye on her, for sure. Uh, One more? One more. Uh, Padden Fane. Just a a short little blip about Padden Fane, but apparently... Apparently, someone's visiting him in the dungeon in the middle of the night, and I, I didn't really get it 
explicitly, but maybe it's implied that they're letting him out. (laughs) They are letting him out of the dungeon, which is exactly what we said towards the beginning of the episode, something that must not happen. And now there's a possibility Padden Fane is going to be loose. When you capture someone, you do what you need to do with them, and then you neutralize it. You don't just let them sit there. Yeah, but like we discussed, I, I do think we... Um, My goodness. You know, we, we, we feel like there is reason that that hasn't been done yet. Whether or not it was the yes. right decision, whether or not it was the right decision, you know, is up for interpretation. But, you know, at least you know can kind of know where they're coming from, why Padden Fane is still here. And as you rightly predicted, Michelle, <laughs> it's going to come back. It looks like it's going to come back to bite them. I will say this, with Leandrin wanting to find these three boys, there's no better person to help her do it than Padden Fane. He is the hound. So yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Do we have any theories about who it is that's, that's coming to him in the middle of the night? Do you think oh, it's yeah. Leandrin or do you think it's somebody else? If it's not Leandrin, then it's someone that's under her spell. Or we do know that there is a dark friend somewhere in uh, Shinar. They're everywhere. Yeah. So that's uh, that's my theory on it. I think it's interesting because Pat and Fane pretty much acts like he is expecting a person, but even he is kind of surprised at who it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, oh, it's about time you showed up, but I never expected it would be you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So it kind of leaves us on that cliffhanger of like, oh, who is it? Yeah. Oh, and you just want to move on to the next chapter at that point. You know, I have I, I, I have to say, though, I wonder if we'll find out in the next chapter or I if it'll so. be like if it'll be like five books from now, because there there have been several times we've said something like, oh, I want to find out about this in the next chapter. And then it's like a long way off or some of it. We still haven't figured it out. So. <laughs> There's a lot of secrets. I mean, we, I, I will say it, it makes for a better story when you don't know exactly who the dark friend is, where it's just yeah. you trying to guess what's happening. Yeah, and, uh, and that, I'm excited. That, that's what that's what makes this such a perfect place to leave. Because if we find out in the next chapter, at least we have this little bit of little bit of mystery to carry us into next week. Who 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 let Padden Fane out? <laughs> who 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 let the hound out? <laughs> yeah, who let, who let the who let the peddler out? Uh. But I All hope... right. Well, let's uh, let's move let's move on to some final thoughts. Michelle, go ahead. You were about to say something anyway. Oh yeah, I really hope that we keep up with this trend of hearing from so many different perspectives. Um, I I just enjoy hearing. It's like it's nice to know what's going on within these different groups. Um, and I hope that we keep up with this trend. Yeah. I've, I truly enjoyed this chapter for that reason. I... I, I wouldn't consider this a spoiler, but you're you're not going to be disappointed in that. Yes, right. Stephen. Stephen, how many different points of view do we get by the end of the series? Oh goodness, I got to Google that one real fast. <laughs> it's a big number. Uh, I well, love that. Good. Well, you you can go ahead and do that while you're doing that. Uh, we'll let you give give that in your final thoughts. But um, you know, I'm I, I want to see all of you know all this. We got all this mystery going around you know uh you know i you know even even uh you know moraine is keeping secrets from swan she tells her you know i'll tell you what you need to know in the morning but she she tells it she specifically says i'll tell you what you need to know she didn't say i'll tell you everything uh so there's secrets going on there there's something going on with the white cloaks who are the worst and the hand of the light is the worst of the worst 
Uh, there's something going on with Leandrin we don't understand, and there is some mysterious person, you know, uh, uh, probably busting Padden Fane out of jail in the middle of the night. All of these mysteries rolling around. We got all of this stuff happening. Uh, something is about to pop off. I'm looking forward to it. And it's about to be big. Uh, so, guys, let's 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 just go and and read the next chapters tonight, and come back and record the next episode tomorrow. Can we do that? Oh yeah. You know what I'm looking. You know, you know, you know what I'm looking forward to. I hope that. I hope the Great Hunt, like you know, the title is always, of course, part of, you know, the book. Yeah. Of course, I hope the Great Hunt is the hunt for Rand. Okay. So that would make such like that would make for such a fun book. All right, uh, Stephen, uh, you got that number for us yet? I do. So, uh, Michelle, you're going to love this. So, so far, you have seen perspectives from a uh, random dark friend named Bors. You've seen Moraine and Rand, Perrin. And uh, let's see who else. Well, in, in this chapter, so you've gotten a handful so let me far. Say, in this chapter alone, we got yeah. In this Moraine, chapter alone, you got four. We got Moraine, Jeffrey Bornhold, Leandrin, and Padden Fane. In this chapter alone, that's so many different groups. Too. It's not even. It's not even different people because so, before we all got the same like kind of grouping. Yeah, like they're all on the same journey. But now we're like with Aes Sedai, White Cloaks, Dark and, Friends. And we're even jumping to different parts of the world. Yes. So, uh, but what's the what's the final tally, Stephen? So over the entire series, you will get to be in the heads of 147 different wow. characters. Wow. And we've seen what, like seven or eight so far? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And the POV will change... 1,379 oh, times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, as I said, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be disappointed in that. Uh, so, Stephen, any other final thoughts for us? Uh, just that I think uh, this book and these first couple chapters really do... In the first book, we get kind of a slow burn at the beginning. You know, we have some action right then, but then things kind of move at a different pace. I think this book really hits the ground running. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, things are just building and building and building. And then we get to this cliffhanger and next week is going to be awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm so excited. Well, listeners, there you have it. You, you have to come back next week. Uh, you got to come back and find out what happens and how awesome it's going to be. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. As you know, new episodes are going to be released every Tuesday. You can get those uh, delivered directly to your podcast feed if you subscribe. Uh, we would also ask, if you do that, go ahead and uh, leave us a rating. We, we like five stars, but leave us a rating however you feel like we deserve. And if you can, uh, give us a little bit of a review as well. Uh, let us know, you know what we're doing well, maybe something that we can work on. Let us know how we can improve, but th just leave us a review. If you, if you love it, let us know, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, but that's going to help us to get in front of more eyes. More people might see this podcast and be able to listen and join in on the fun. Uh, you can also, and we would love it for you to do this, interact with us on social media, tweet at us at, at wind beginning, or, you know, message us on Instagram, interact with our post in either of those places. Instagram is The Wind Was a Beginning. We're on Facebook and YouTube, The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. Or you can email us, The Wind Was a Beginning at gmail.com. 
So next week, we are uh, discussing chapters 6 through 9. So chapters 6 through 9 of The Great Hunt next Tuesday. So we hope you'll come back and join with us for that occasion as well and find out what's going to happen uh, in, in here in Fall Dara and what is going on in this world. So until then, we hope you'll come back and join us again. Uh, but until then, we will go ahead and sign off for now and say so long and hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you, as always. Y'all have a great week, and we can't wait to see you again. 